Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Kellen Finney. He is co-founder at 8th Revolution. We're going to find out what they're doing in the formulation space. He's a chemist and a marketer, uh, and they're working in cannabis and hemp. Obviously, some unique things going on in this world. I find that the, as the cannabis and hemp industries kind of mature, there's definitely a drive towards science, a drive towards really understanding how these plants work, how they produce the materials they produce, and how we can use them in all sorts of different ways. It's always a fascinating conversation to see how people are working with these things. So with that, Kellen, welcome to the program. Thanks. Uh, Thanks for having me, Bruce. I look forward to the conversation. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Um, Why don't we do a little bit of background first before we kind of dig into um, kind of what you're doing in cannabis right now? What's the backstory? Like, how do you get into this? How do you get into cannabis? Give us a little insight. Yeah, awesome. So um, my academic background, uh, as an undergrad, I studied chemistry and biochemistry, did some analytical research, got really exposed to the research side of science. And then that motivated me to go get a graduate degree in metabolic and chemical engineering, got to do some really cool projects, collaborative work with like Los Alamos National Lab, really, really cool work there, just uh, working with bacteria and being able to manufacture chemicals that were derived from fossil fuels, but using Mm -hmm. bacteria and renewable resources. So that was really cool work. And then 
was looking to move back to Colorado and get into the science industry, which is originally I'm, I was born and raised in Colorado. So felt like it was home, wanted to get closer to family, moved yeah. back. They just didn't have a really strong science sector in Colorado. It's kind of slim pickings for uh, jobs. And I ended up uh, taking what I could and I was uh, actually selling makeup on the street for a, a little while, just trying to make ends meet. Interesting little gig I had there and uh, through a family friend, uh, <laughs> there was an opportunity out in California's medical market in 2015 to go and work with an extraction company, right? And chatted with them and I didn't really know much about the cannabis industry at all. I know that Colorado had just gone legal, so um, I knew it was an emerging industry, which made it exciting. But also there's that whole cultural stigma surrounding cannabis at the time yeah. was even more prevalent than it is now. I mean, I think probably on the East Coast, it's it's really similar still, but it's it's changed a lot now. So I moved out to California, took a job as the lead scientist and got to use my analytical background and my uh, organic chemistry background in manufacturing concentrates for a couple of big brands out there. It was more of a, a white label situation. And that's kind of how I got in the industry. And then I worked for a company out there in Arcata, California. We were in the marijuana innovation zone, which was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. One of the first licensed companies there. And then got to see it go wreck, which was awesome in California. And then um, was looking to kind of advance my career and skill set and moved up to Washington to one of the largest vertically integrated companies up there called LeafWorks and was the lab director up there for about a year and then decided to kind of go off on my own. And uh, I ended up speaking at MJ BizCon on extraction science. And uh, yep. it's where I met my my business partner and co-founder who kind of brings the business side of things to the equation. I'm more of like the heavy science if uh, the background wasn't obvious there. And so <laughs> <laughs> met my co-founder and originally we were just um, one of the biggest frustrations that I found just being in the industry for four years prior to starting my own consulting firm was there's just a lot of snake oil salesman out there and yeah it was really challenging to navigate the, those potholes if you will in the road and so originally it was just to try to help these companies build out these facilities with the equipment that does what it says it does and with proper understanding of what they're what they're getting themselves into and so that's kind of what the motivation for starting eighth revolution was and with my business partner as well and so we have a, a passion for kind of trying to do the right thing in the industry and really trying to help uh, individuals avoid the big pitfalls in the space. Yeah. And so, and what are those pitfalls? I mean, uh, you're mentioning some of the kind of challenges from the science point of view, but when we talk about the production of cannabis products, you know, going from, you know, plants, biomass kind of stuff to these final products, what are, what are the things that we're trying to do? What are the challenges that come in play? when you look at it from a kind of manufacturing production process? Yeah. So there, I think that that falls into a couple, couple categories. One of the first categories would be just equipment, right? So there's a, a lot of different ways to extract the active chemicals out of the plant, right? The mm -hmm. phytocannabinoids, as well as the, the flavor in terms of the terpenes and some of the uh, flavonoids and other chemicals like that. And so a bunch of different extraction methods. The three prevalent ones are ethanol, hydrocarbon, which is BHO oil, and then carbon dioxide, right? And so mm -hmm. there's a myriad of different equipment providers. And in order to try to meet sales numbers, those equipment providers will tell you that it does anything you want it to do, right? And so there's a lot of equipment out there that has false claims in terms of its throughputs or exactly the quality material it's going to going to produce. And so that's the major pitfall is just choosing equipment that actually does what it says it does, right? Because a lot of these people go out, raise money, 
on their pro forma, it says like, we're going to manufacture X per day based on this equipment mm-hmm. that we picked out. And then they get down the line, they raise the money, the facility is built out, they're up and going. And turns out that that equipment only does half of what it says. And now, now everyone's not very excited, right? Because the yeah. ROI is just doubled and you're only producing half what you thought or expected to produce. And it just creates a really challenging situation and a hard obstacle to to overcome if you're not backed by serious like private equity that you can just go back and get more money to buy different equipment. And you're like, well, yeah. we learned that this was the wrong one. And now we're going to go try this piece of equipment. And so and what I guess what happens is that is that just is that um, people not understanding kind of really how these how this equipment works is that, you know, applying this equipment to cannabis is a little different than maybe, you know, how they've sort of spec'd it otherwise. I mean, why do you have this discrepancy between, you know, what what the published you know production capacity is and what the actual capacity is? Yeah, I mean, I don't have a, a, a great reason for that. My guess is that, A, it's some of these companies that I think like three, four years ago, especially, I mean, it's not as bad now, but three, four years ago, a lot of these companies saw it was the green rush, right? So there was a lot yeah. of dumb money being thrown around, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Investors were just trying to get into the space. They were writing checks to individuals that probably shouldn't have had that kind of capital at their disposal. And it was a rush to market. And so then a lot of these equipment manufacturers kind of smelled blood in the water, is my guess. And in order to make the sale, they were telling the the customers anything they wanted to hear. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think that was probably the the major driving force behind a lot of these wrong purchases, if you will. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, I, that would be my, my major guess. Unfortunately, yeah. just bad actors, right? So just early industry. It's just kind of the industry was just, they just didn't have the data. They didn't have the wherewithal to be able to yeah. actually make the claims, but needed to anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And so what, what are the other kind of things you end up grappling with when you're when you're kind of really thinking about the production of this stuff? So equipment's one of them. What else? Comes yeah. And so play? a lot of uh, a lot of companies that I come across don't they view manufacturing of concentrates almost like a, a factory worker job when re- in reality, it's a very science heavy process. Right. And so they end up employing individuals in these manufacturing spaces that are more or less operators and don't have the proper or traditional kind of academic background that you would see in another chemical manufacturing space, right? So like pharmacists or pharmaceutical companies are not going to hire individuals that don't have a, a chemistry background to do chemical manufacturing of their APIs, right? And so, but that's not the case in the cannabis space. You had a lot of individuals that were kind of your your backyard garage chemists that came in and they're like, this is the way I do it because I tried it five other ways and this way worked the best. And so this is the way I do it. And so there's a lack of science that's being applied to the manufacturing, which then uh, ripples across all of the quality quality control, quality assurance, yeah. and all of those things. So you're getting inconsistent products. You're seeing inconsistent yields. And just and then the other other thing that kind of piggybacks on that is then in-house analytics in order to know exactly what you're dealing with. And so it's one thing to understand science. It's another thing to have the proper tools in place to understand science, right? Like I, yeah. we can talk all day about cannabinoids and what they look like and how they affect the body and all these other things. But if I'm out as a manufacturing facility and I'm sourcing biomass from multiple different streams or even in-house, I have multiple different strains. Those plants have different chemical profiles, meaning they have different concentration of chemicals in there that those different concentrations are going to affect how the extraction process works, 
It's going to affect the quality. And so it's not like a one size fits all kind of situation. And so especially in cannabis where it's like kind of stuck in between pilot and industrial scale, right? You really see, you really need robust analytical in-house testing to be able to understand the different chemical profiles batch to batch, because it's really got to be a custom extraction based on that individual batch, because you're seeing these chemicals vary so drastically from batch to batch. I mean, we see it in, yeah. in the retail level, right? There, You can go into a store and you can buy flour that tests at 10%, or you can pl- buy flour that tests at 30%. That's significantly different if you're looking at it from a chemical profile, right? There's a yeah. lot of a, a different chemical in there than the other batch. And so that is kind of the other huge area that we assist in and is bringing it, helping them bring in-house analytics, helping them understand how to implement quality control and quality assurance um, aspects within their manufacturing space to be able to produce a consistent product, right? Because at the end of the day, as consumers, we go to the store, I buy a pack of 12 Coca-Colas. I anticipate every single one of those cans to taste the same, right? Like, <laughs> Well, yeah. And the challenge being, and this is something I just, I think I, I didn't appreciate fully until we really kind of, I got into the space, you know, four or five years ago. And, you know, Coca-Cola is, is, basically chemicals. Right? <laughs> like you're, you're making it in, you know, in the lab from start to finish, you know, whereas cannabis, you know, it's, it's a agricultural product, right? I mean, this is, these are plants growing in various environmental conditions that have variability that are affected by the conditions which they're cultivated under. And so they're going to produce different, you know, raw products, which then you've got to figure out through the production process, how do we normalize them, standardize them to the, the outcome we want. And, you know, so that every, every gummy is, you know, is effectively the same, both from a chemical point of view, but really from a, you know, taste and, you know, profile point of view, you know, so it's a challenge. What are the underlying kind of scientific kind of principles or things that you're applying when we talk about kind of the science of of producing, you know, cannabis products or or working with cannabis from a production point of view? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of the science is going to be like, it's it's pretty simple chemistry, if, if you will. A lot of it is from the extraction standpoint, right? We're just dealing with solubility, right? So solvents that solubilize the cannabinoids, right? So ethanol, it's a great one, right? It, it solubilizes the cannabinoids. But if you look at ethanol particularly, solubility is affected by temperature. So being able to understand how the polarity of the ethanol changes based on the temperature it is is going to dictate exactly what chemicals you are going to pull out of that plant, right? And then you also Uh understand that if you're manipulating the temperature and that's going to change how it solubilizes other chemicals, it's also then going to affect your yield, right? So then you get to play a game where you get to either choose a high yield, low quality product, or you get to choose a high quality, low yielding product, right? So there's a few different games that you can play with just within ethanol as a solvent, right? CO2 is probably the most complex Mm -hmm. just because it requires high pressures, high temperatures. You're taking carbon dioxide and you're putting it into what's called a a supercritical state, right? And so at that point, the CO2 acts like a gas and like a liquid. So it has the solubility principles of being a liquid, but it behaves as as far as how it moves through the material from a diffusion standpoint as a gas, right? And so then there's more complex actual, I would say, physical chemistry and engineering that goes into using CO2 as a solvent. You calculating the density and understanding at what density certain molecules are solubilized within the CO2. And so CO2 is different because you can you can run CO2 at different parameters to extract terpenes. And you can run CO2 at different parameters to extract cannabinoids. So you kind of can 
pick and choose what you want to pull out of the plant material based on how you manipulate those parameters within the CO2 machine. And then within the hydrocarbon space, I mean, hydrocarbons, butane, propane, entane, all those, they are really robust nonpolar solvents that do a great job of extracting other organic molecules, right? So terpenes and cannabinoids are very prevalent. And then the real chemistry, I guess, behind these products that are coming out of the, the butane world is going to be the the media that they're using to filter out the unwanted particulates, right? So they do inline filtration within hydrocarbon extraction a lot. In the space, it's referred to as color remediation chromatography. And so there's just a, a bunch of different medias that companies are employing to, in essence, do inline chromatography to remove some of those unwanted because hydrocarbons are such a good solvent that it's extracting a ton of other chemicals that aren't desirable. And so mm-hmm. by employing that kind of science within the hydrocarbon space, you're able to clean up the product and kind of generate a finished product just from the extraction and purging of, of the of the hydrocarbon after the extraction process. Got it. And, and when you look at these different methods and you look at the different I guess, kind of, uh, you know, production or business situations, like what does the decision-making matrix look like in terms of like why you would choose one of these over the others? What are the variables that kind of come into play when you're looking at strategy? Yeah, totally. And so that's a a really good question. I end up walking all of our clients through this. Like I tend to do the kind of a reverse engineering standpoint, right? Okay. Because at the end of the day, it's really like who, what's your identity, right? And that's kind of where I start is, do you want to be the, high-end kind of gray goose, if you will, boutique product out there that you're going to put a lot of attention on your brand and you're really just focusing on building a brand and you want to be vertically integrated. You want to control your supply chain. You're not trying to just flood the space and play high volume, low margin. You want to play low volume, high margin. Then that's going to be a completely different conversation than if you're in a completely different process, different equipment, different facility build out than if you're trying to like, for instance, uh, if you're trying to be in, in the hemp space, right? I would, I would have a completely different recommendation for a company getting in the hemp space than I would for a company trying to enter the cannabis space from a, a concentrate perspective, right? In the hemp space, you're playing industrial manufacturing of a commodity good. And at that point you need to do high volume, low margin. And so it's a completely different solvent based on scalability principles, right? And so- yeah. It's just different sizes. And so you're going to play a completely different game. So I tend to ask what the client wants to do. And I think that's a really big, really big point. And I think a lot of people kind of overlook that is that getting into this space, like you need to understand like what your goal is from a manufacturing of a concentrate in the cannabis or the hemp space. And then at that point, you can always walk back into it. That's kind of how I tend to have those conversations and facilitate that dialogue when Clients are just now kind of interested in getting into the space. Yeah. And what have you noticed in terms of what people are kind of focused on doing? Because I think that, uh, you know, in the beginning, it was very much just like how much THC can we pull out of these things to, you know, now being, you know, there's some subtleties. We've got, you know, different cannabinoids and we've got different terpenes. We've got different flavonoids. And we can, all these things we can pull out of the plants. Like what have you seen as been sort of trends or interesting things people are trying to do now? How does it change the production process? Give me a sense of little, a little sense of what you've noticed in the industry to date. Yeah. And so I've noticed kind of two different things within the cannabis industry as well as the hemp industry. And so we can kind of start with the cannabis industry. So Mm -hmm. at first you kind of had all of these different opinions in terms of health, right? So a lot of people were like, okay, like 
I'm going to go start a company. I don't want to do anything with hydrocarbons because they explode. They had a negative media attention. People were causing accidents and all these different reasons. So they went with CO2 because, of course, it was green. It's friendly. There's all these other reasons, right? And turns out that at the consumer level, unfortunately, CO2 just doesn't really provide the same quality of product as a hydrocarbon extracted product does. Don't get me wrong, CO2 is awesome for creating vaporization pens, uh, uh, vape pens, right? Um, The majority of vape pens are CO2. You're starting to see a little more BHO, but at the end of the day, the consumer kind of spoke, right? From a concentrate market perspective, the majority of the highest margin and the highest throughput or highest volume velocity product is going to be a hydrocarbon dabbable product. And it's going to have the least amount of steps in it from a manufacturing perspective. It's going to give you the highest margin and it's going to move the best because that's what the consumer decided is the product that they are really passionate about. And it's just not going away, right? As many marketing people that I've talked to and as many different brands have jumped into space trying to say CO2 is way better and these different campaigns, unfortunately, it's just literally hasn't BHO is here to stay and it's not going anywhere. Right. And so in the cannabis space, you've kind of seen, I've been to companies where they literally have three CO2 machines that are paperweights. They have an ethanol machine. That's a paperweight and they're only running their (laughs) BHO machine because that's the product that sells at the end of the day on, on the retail shelves. Right. Yeah. In the CBD space, it's been just strictly ethanol CO2 has, it's, it's just hard to scale with a CO2 system from a continuous flow that you're used to in like big, industrial applications they need to have it run 24 7 and it just needs to be a conveyor belt ethanol provides that for these companies and co2 is because you got to put it under pressure and manipulate the temperature it's you have a vessel and it's always going to be batch sized right because you got to close the lid and you got to pressurize it so it's hard to scale with co2 and at the end of the day because it's a commodity within the cbd space and you're either just going after just the cbd and the terpenes mm-hmm. aren't nearly as valuable and there's not an entourage effect. It's starting to see that a little bit with like the broad spectrum and the full spectrum and this whole entourage effect thing just is starting to gain traction in the CBD space, but it just hasn't had the same traction as it had in the cannabis space, right? And cannabis space, the flavor is everything, right? That strain is what sells. Yeah. That's a huge marketing point. And in order to say it has this strain, you need those terpenes and Far and above, the best concentrate on the market is a BHO, a fresh frozen BHO extracted concentrate. I mean, it, there's no comparison in terms of how well the terpenes are preserved from a chemical perspective. And I mean, it's night and day. Like you can literally, it's not a question. People, you can just smell the difference between a CO2 extracted product that goes through all of these different steps to get to a distillate. And then they have to reintroduce terpenes to it because yeah. during the process, it just, you're going to burn off all the terpenes and degrade them and you got to just purify the THC. So it's kind of a deconstruction reconstruction versus with hydrocarbon, you're kind of just capturing what the plant already had naturally and trying to not mess with it at all. Right. And so those are kind of the two sides of the coins, if you will, when you're comparing the hemp and the cannabis space from, from that perspective. Yeah. I'm curious, is the technology that we're using in these things, is this 
new, like innovative technology, or is this technology that's been around for a long time being used in all sorts of other places, and now we're just adopting it in cannabis? Like, how cutting edge is this, and how much is this is proven? really stable technologies that we're using? <laughs> so that's a, that's a really good question. I mean, there's a lot of um, conversations I got into where people just, the world's really big and there's a lot, people, we've been doing chemistry for a really long time and yeah. uh, we've been pulling time, right? Botanical extraction is not anything new. I mean, just go to the supermarket every single, there's an entire aisle of different vegetables that we've extracted oils from, right? And so, yeah. um, a lot of people don't understand that they've been doing like they in terms of like every big company out there has been doing large scale extraction and they've come up with ways that work and they've tried all the ways that don't. And so unfortunately, there's not a lot of technology. We haven't reinvented the wheel in this industry. And a yeah. lot of people kind of grapple onto these certain concepts because it has just because it hasn't been applied to cannabis. They think that maybe they just invented something brand new. The industry hasn't or the world's never yeah. seen. And Unfortunately, that's just not the case, right? Like we've been extracting vanilla with ethanol for a really, really long time, right? Like you've ever had French toast, like you are using a chemical that was extracted with ethanol, right? Hydrocarbon extraction has been used in so many different spaces, right? CO2 is the newest form of botanical extraction. But then again, it's been around since the 60s. And I mean, China uses it to extract all of the arsenic out of rice, they use it to extract the lictin, which is a molecule in potatoes that once you pull that molecule out, it increases the shelf life in potatoes. And so all of these extraction methods are definitely not new from that perspective. Um, and then the other side of the, the science technology, I can't really speak on the cultivation technology and those things. It's just not my area expertise. Right. And so as far as the formulation, I mean, we've been manipulating pharmaceuticals and figuring out ways to have them function better, be more soluble, have them uptake better, right? I mean, you're looking at sublinguals and all these different methods of ingesting the cannabinoids that, mm -hmm. I mean, they are prevalent across all these other spaces. I mean, you just look at a sublingual patch. It looks really cool in cannabis, but they've been doing it for nicotine addiction for almost yeah. two decades, you know? So it's kind of like we're just pulling technology from the other spaces and applying it to these molecules that it hasn't, hasn't been applied to. Right. And it's not yeah. to say it's easy because from a solubility perspective, THC is one of the least soluble molecules in water you could possibly come up with. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's definitely not easy work at all. It's just, we're not inventing new technology for it. Right. We're just using old technology to, and figuring out how it plays with these new molecules. Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned the solubility, but is there any other kind of unique challenges when it comes to cannabis or is like, you know, is cannabis look the same as pretty much any other botanical that we're going to extract from or is it, or is it different? That's a good question. So I don't know if I could speak on that just because I don't have a ton of experience with other botanicals, but I know that for instance, I've done a lot of steam distillation to pull out the terpenes and it's the uh -huh. same exact process as if I was extracting the fragrance from lavender, right? So yeah. from that perspective, it doesn't really behave any differently. I'm sure that cannabis behaves differently when you're processing it with ethanol as far as the solubility, the timing. There, there's probably little nuanced things like that where it behaves differently. But I really I couldn't speak more accurately on that just because I don't have a ton of experience with other botanicals. Right. So it's hard to compare yeah. that. 
Yeah. And where do you see the industry going at this point? I mean, is there, are there big trends? If you were to kind of look out a couple of years, what would you say or what would you suspect are going to be kind of the dominant technologies or are there new things coming into play? What, how do you think this is going to play out? I think the quality of products are going to continue to get better. I think consistency will continue to get better. As far as emerging products, I think that there'll always be kind of a couple new products coming out. I mean, I can kind of, I'd like to compare it to maybe like candy, right? Like there's a bunch of different ways that they can put sugar in a different form and sell it to you, right? So I think you'll see a lot of those different forms. I think a lot of people will get further away from the flower in terms of smoking flower, right? Just because smoking, there's inherent health issues when you're lighting something on fire and inhaling it, right? And so I see as far as mass acceptance of the cannabis molecules, people are going to get further away from from the plant and that's going to require more robust science and more robust quality assurance to make sure that you're getting what the plant had produced accurately. And so I think that the next really big things are going to be methods of ingesting it that emulate the speed at which smoking it affects you, right? Because a lot of people, that's the big knock on the why people continue to smoke it, right? Is because it's almost instantaneous, right? Like 30 seconds. Yeah, you don't have to wait 30 minutes for it to... Yeah, so I see that there could be a ton of uh, improvement in terms of the absorption rate, right? I mean, there's fast-acting Tylenol and fast-acting this, right, and instant release that. So I see, I could see a lot. That's where my guess is a lot of the technology from a chemistry perspective is going to move towards getting it into your bloodstream as fast as possible from a method of ingestion that isn't inhalation. Yeah. And who are you typically working with these days as, as, as um, you know, you kind of apply your services? Who comes to you? What are you doing for them? Give us a little sense of how you engage. Yeah, totally. So originally we were originally founded to try to help companies build out facilities. And then um, mainly in the hemp space, it was easy to work with a lot of those. Uh, and it was the exciting time in 2018 when um, kind of the farm bill just passed. There's a lot of excitement, a lot of uh, individuals trying to jump into the space. So originally we were just helping facility build outs. And then um, after that, we helped a, a bunch of facilities build out in, in the hemp space as well as a couple in the cannabis space. And then it's kind of just turned into um, in the hemp space. We help we put together what's called an intelligence support that tries to give like a bird's eye view of the market trends and where we see the industry going. I and mean, then we provide that publicly. Originally, it was just for our partners um, in the hemp space. Mm-hmm. And then in the cannabis space, it's a lot of optimization. Right. So. The clientele in the cannabis space is limited. Uh, We do a huge vetting process. And so we're reluctant to take on a lot of cannabis clients. And really, we we limit the amount of clients we take on just because we're a small firm, right? We've only been around for a year or so. And um, we limit the number number of clients we take on. And then the clients that we typically take on are are small to medium-sized companies that they don't have the capital at their disposal to bring a lot of the tools that these larger companies have in-house. They just can't afford to hire a team of of data scientists. They can't afford to hire a team of marketers, right? They can't afford to bring in multiple scientists to help them with their process, that they're bootstrapped and they maybe learn the hard way that maybe they didn't do their calculations correctly and they're not, it wasn't as um, lucrative as originally thought, (laughs) right? And so now they're scrambling to try to help optimize. And that's where a lot of our work comes from now is coming in, helping clients, A, 
implement in-house analytics so that they can then make their process more efficient and optimize their process. Because at the end of the day, like we were saying, like you have to be able to test the plant material to know what you're dealing with, to make yourself to do better at extraction and processing. Right. And so that's a lot of the work we do in the cannabis space and in the hemp space. It's a lot of facilitating sales, right? So helping connect dots from B to B. We do a lot of help from a just an e-commerce perspective, right? So we've kind of gotten into helping our, our clients navigate like SEO and how you properly go about marketing on the internet and trying to get their CBD products in front of as many people as they can and really trying to just help uh, shore up sales. Because at the end of the day, that's the entire hemp industry is struggling because they have all of this supply. Manufacturing it wasn't the issue. Yeah. They're able to make a bunch of CBD. What turns out once you implement industrial chemical technology, you can make a lot of CBD, right? (laughs) So Mm -hmm. the bottleneck in the CBD space is getting consumer adoption. And so we've been asked by a lot of our clients to really just help them solve that problem, which is how do we sell our product? And is it better branding? Is it you're not properly marketing it? You don't have the right words in your description, right? Like there's all these little nuances that other industries have been have learned over the last two decades of e-commerce and optimization of online sales that just yeah. haven't been applied to the cannabis or the hemp space yet. And that's another area that my business partner can speak a lot better on that. That's his kind of his wheelhouse, but that's kind of yeah. where we've uh, fallen within the, the hemp space, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes sense. If people want to find out more about you and, and the business, what's the best way to get that information? Yeah. So uh, go sign up for, we publish a monthly intelligence report that kind of, Gives a bird's eye view of the hemp and the cannabis space, as well as uh, legality and market trends and some pricing and those kind of things. You can go go get that on our website at www.8threv.com. Um, and then follow us on Instagram. We are always uh, publishing as much useful information as far as uh, trending news articles and uh, regulatory updates and anything like that on uh, on Instagram and Twitter. 8th Revolution, our handles on Instagram and Twitter as well. And uh, LinkedIn. We're on LinkedIn as well. So go follow us on LinkedIn at 8th Rev, 8th Revolution. Cool. I'll make sure that all those links are in the uh, show notes so people can click through and get that. This has been a pleasure. I really appreciate the time, Keelan. It's uh, you know great conversation and um, you know it's really helpful for the audience. So I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate everything you're doing to just try to educate the community. We need as many people like you that are just being professional out there and continuing to push the right information out. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.